Hello, everybody, and welcome to the MLB Pipeline podcast, the first episode of 2023. Happy New Year, everyone. That was me. <laughs> wow, someone came prepared. <laughs> now, before we came on, I heard some noises and I asked if somebody had a duck. Is that what that was? Were you fine tuning? Or... That was a different noise altogether. I, I don't want to know. Jim, what do you have? I had less sounds, but I could get some dogs to bark if you'd like. So I could rile up the dogs. They do that on command? No, but I could probably hype them up if I had to. Yeah. Just go ring a doorbell. That's true. Yes, exactly. <laughs> well, guys, happy new year to you as well. We have not been together, the three of us, on the podcast since uh, it's been a while. It's like been like a year. Post-winter meetings, maybe? Yeah, I can't believe you've forgotten, Jason. Jim actually had some Rule 5 fever. That's right. Mild. It was a mild case. It was mild. It was more like a Rule 5 cough, maybe. 24-hour bug. Yes. <laughs> Five-minute bug more. But yes, I, I, I did utter the words. You've actually gotten me somewhat excited about the Rule 5 draft. I think it was our mailbag questions, which I can't remember. But yes, I was mildly excited about the Rule 5 draft. All right. Well, we're, we're more than mildly excited about the 2023 season, and we are going to spend the majority, if not entirety, of this episode, looking ahead to the 2023 season and making some bold predictions, or maybe not so bold. We're, we're going to make some predictions. We'll see which ones are which ones we deem as bold. Uh, we did have a mailbag question asking for some bold predictions, uh, and we decided to make some predictions anyway. We we did this last year. Jonathan uh, was not on that episode. We, Sam Dykstra was on, and Sam and Jim. Uh, made their predictions for 2022, and we decided we would uh, go through and make the same predictions this year, picking the Rookies of the Year for 2023, the Pipeline Hitter of the Year and Pipeline Pitcher of the Year, who will be the number one overall draft pick in July, uh, who will be the number one prospect at the end of the year, who will have the number one farm system at the end of the year, and who will be the biggest riser among the prospects on our current top 100 prospects list. So we will uh, take our shot at each of those. Uh, we also have a uh, prediction-based mailbag question, which we will conclude the show with that as we always do wrap up with the mailbag. So let's go ahead and get started with some predictions. Uh, before we do, let's take a quick look back uh, at last year's predictions. Um which were terrible on the podcast. <laughs> yeah, well, that's why Sam Sam wasn't invited back. Like we we we. Uh, that's right. You you should I should actually just sit this out. We'll let Jonathan make predictions. He cannot do worse than Sam or I did. I right. You set the bar extremely low. Well, so so for last year's rookies of the year, Jim in the AL, you took Spencer Torkelson, who had a bad year. <laughs> had a bad, terrible, as bad as your predictions. Uh, and Bryson Stott in the National League. Sam chose Bobby Witt Jr. and O'Neill Cruz. <clears throat> um, probably not quite as bad, quite as terrible as, as your prediction. But I think going into this, neither of you would have thought that Julio Rodriguez was going to spend enough time in the big leagues to warrant serious consideration is that yeah you'll see <laughs> i picked yeah. him as my pipeline hitter of the year so I, I i correctly picked that he would have an outstanding season i just didn't think at the uh at the major league level hey brayson stop might have been one of my better predictions at least i had a, a world series shortstop but uh but yes uh I, I think at the time we thought julio because he had played so little in the minors would spend part of the year 
in, in the minor leagues. Um, yes, but uh, it's crazy. I mean, we I know we discussed Rutschman. You know, Sam Pick and Witt was a better pick than me. I, I don't think Jeremy Pena came up at all. Um, but uh, <laughs> yeah, um, that, that was that was a rough one. But yes, uh, <laughs> the predictions will get worse. I think, but that, that, that's fine. So. Okay. Instead of going through each of last year's predictions in order, let's let's go ahead and uh, let's look at this year's uh, rookies of the year. Um, Jim and Jonathan, let's uh, have each of you pick the NL and AL rookies of the year for twenty twenty three. Have we done Have we done a story on this? Is you guys have a cheat sheet there? I don't know if we have. Um... It feels like we did guys who were going to... Oh, I know what we did. We did each team's top rookie of the year candidate. candidate I think right after November, right? I think we did that after. Exactly. Yes. Correct. Yep. I bet we... My prediction is I predict we'll pick the same two players for the American League National League Rookies of the Year. Interesting. Okay. Uh, In that case, Jonathan, why don't don't you go first? Uh, National League first? Sure. Uh, well, I think for me, unlike, you know, this last year where Michael Harris wasn't on anyone's radars at all, didn't come up until the end of May, I'm picking uh, a guy who is going to be in the opening day lineup, and that's Corbin Carroll. Uh, the Diamondbacks obviously made it up to the to the big leagues last year, uh, showed that he could hold his own. He doesn't have a lot of minor league time because he missed most of 2021 with the shoulder injury, but showed this past year that he's the kind of advanced hitter who – uh, is going to figure things out. Uh, you know, even if he's not swinging the bat that great, uh, the speed and the defense are going to play in center field. Uh, I, I'd put him in, you know, in the Diamondbacks leadoff spot and let him go. So to me, the, this is about as easy a prediction as uh, well. You can make the case for the American League too, but I just think that his combination of tools makes him the clear, the clear pick for right now. And I would second that. I, th- I think the American League pick is a little clearer cut for me, Jonathan, because I, I do think in the National League you have guys like Mets catcher Francisco Alvarez and Cardinals outfielder Jordan Walker. But I, too, would pick Corbin Carroll. I think he's got both the clearest opportunity to playing time, especially now that the Dimebacks trade Varsho. And I also think his bat is the most ready for the big league, so he's the most mm-hmm. likely to produce. So I'm I, I'm with you on Corbin Carroll, and, and I'll go ahead and take the American League here, Jonathan. I feel like you will pick the same guy I'm going to pick. Yep. But I, I think Gunnar I've Henderson, already I've already entered it into the Google Doc <laughs> where we're tracking but, these. But Gunnar Henderson, I mean, I guess we could question, you know, is he going to play shortstop? Is he going to play third? You know, where Who cares? Fit? But, you know, he's just, you know, he's everything he was cracked up to be. I mean, like Carroll, he got to play, you know, final month of the season. He stepped right in. He didn't look overmatched. He hit four homers in a month. He played a variety of positions, which – I would say it's not easy to do when you're breaking into the big leagues on a team that was, you know, you know, at least somewhat contending for a wild card spot. He played three different positions, and you know, in my mind, I, you know, I know Francisco Alvarez is the number one on our top 100 prospects list right now. I think I'd probably vote Gunnar Henderson as we begin work on a new one. I just think the combination of hitting ability and power and. You know, I think he can play an average shortstop, and I think he can be a, a plus third baseman. He runs well. He's just a very, very gifted player, you know, right on the heels of Adley Rutschman. Uh, you know, it's going to be fun. We've talked a lot of times. It's going to be fun to watch the Orioles over the next few years. But but to me, I, I just think Henderson stands above the AL field right now more than Carroll does. I think the NL field feels a little deeper to me. 
and Henderson is like hands down, I think the easy choice for me. No, I, I agree with that. And everything you said about Gunnar Henderson is true. And I think this past year, he showed that he understood the adjustments he need to, needed to make approach-wise to find success. And he did that at every level, including the big leagues. So I, yeah, I, I agree with that. Knowing, of course, just like last year, you know, we didn't know Julio Rodriguez was going to make the opening day roster and, and no one had Jeremy Pena on this. But right now, I think you're right. And there are more prospects in the National League who have a chance to be on the opening day roster. I kind of have my eye on Ezekiel Tovar with the Rockies as sort of an interesting, I don't call it sleeper pick because he's a, a top 100 guy and he's going to be their opening day shortstop. But uh, there's there's less gap between Corbin Carroll and guys like Alvarez, who you mentioned, or Tovar, than there is between Henderson and the rest of the field. So I agree with you there. Let's see if we can agree on every prediction here. That's boring. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so... Uh, Last year, Pipeline Hitter of the Year, Jim, you mentioned before that you had chosen Julio Rodriguez, who... Uh, hey, if we factored in big league performance, yeah, I would have been right. Exactly. I was going to say. <laughs> uh, and then Sam uh, picked Francisco Alvarez, who, while not named the Pipeline Hitter of the Year, uh, did rise up the rankings to... Uh, become the number one overall prospect. Uh, I believe at the time that we recorded that podcast, uh, Alvarez would have been 10th on the list. So um, the pipeline hitter of the year uh, last year was, in fact, uh, Gunnar Henderson. And uh, so looking looking back here before we look forward, and we'll, we'll phrase it this way for you, who will be joining this list of names? I discovered this morning that we've been we've now been naming a Pipeline Hitter and Pitcher of the Week uh, for 10 years. For the year, and, not the week. Yes. Uh, and that list of players includes Byron Buxton in 2013, Chris Bryant, Kyle Schwarber, Alex Bregman, Ronald Acuna Jr., Vladimir Guerrero Jr., Luis Robert, Anthony Volpe, and Gunnar Henderson, uh, there were no players of the year named in 2020 when there was no minor league season. So a pretty good-looking list of pipeline hitters of the year. Who do you think will join that list this year? Uh, how about Jim? You go first this time. Okay. I am going to go with Jackson Holiday, the number one pick in last year's draft. I, I just – I was so impressed how – I mean, we knew he was advanced at the plate. I mean, you obviously aren't going number one in the draft if you don't have a lot of physical ability and, and, and skills. But he just controlled the strike zone so well, even after jumping up to low A at, at age 18. I'm going to – I'm just going to go – I'll go Jackson Holiday, the first full season of professional baseball. I, I think he's going to hit for average, hit for power, play really good shortstop. It'll be fun to figure out who's playing where in that Orioles infield – in a couple of years when he's ready to join Gunnar Henderson and some of the other guys they have. But I'm going to go from uh, you know, Jackson Holiday set the national high school record for hits in a season this spring, went number one in the draft, and I think he's going to continue to just perform and, and look like a superstar in 2023. Well, that would uh, kind of buck a trend, I think. And looking back at the previous hitters of the year, I want to say all of those guys were double-A or triple a at the time of winning those awards anthony volpe anthony volpe but not not uh first 
full pro season, yeah. right? Was it? it was. It was because of the pandemic. Uh, okay. I mean, okay. it was a pandemic, but like, so um, I'm, I'm going Jackson Holiday. He's, I mean, I, I do, I was going to say, I do think it's easier to win the award if you've had a year under your belt and you're at higher levels. And, and granted, if two guys have huge years, we may probably lean toward the guy who's done it at higher levels. But I'm all in on Jackson Holiday. I can see Jackson Holiday being in double A by the end of the year, too. Ooh, all right, that's that's a fun one. I'm all on Jackson Holiday. No, so. that's a that's a good pick, and I was looking at him. Um, I am not going. To, you can pick him. I, no, I know I can. You don't have to give me permission. Um, but I want to point out, by the way, that you know, just looking over that list of hitters, our uh, prospect hitters of the year, you know, Bryant and Acuna won went on to win Rookie of the Year. So, you know, this is perhaps uh, good good predictive. Uh, for for next year, so the fact that uh, you know that we pick Gunnar Henderson, there's some track record there. Um, I think I am going to stay up the middle, and I am going to pick Marcelo Meyer of the Boston Red Sox. Uh, and you're not bucking the trend. We, we've gotten to see him for first full season. He, of course, you know, was the number four uh, overall pick in the draft to, to the Red Sox in 2021. He was at the top of our board, and uh, he performed very well across two levels of, of A-ball. Uh, you know, the, the jump to high A was a little more challenging, but he showed off the really good approach. I think the power is going to keep coming. I think he's going to completely explode this year and uh, you know, move up to double A, and, and split the year between double A and triple A and maybe maybe even get a call up at the at the end of the year uh, to be our pipeline hitter of the year. All right. I I will say that both of those picks uh, surprised me a bit. I, I didn't have anyone in mind. Who, yeah, who who's well, your, did, you should well, weigh I in here. Say, I, I didn't do I didn't do any research myself as to who I might pick, but uh, I mean, you guys. You guys think somebody like uh, Ellie De La Cruz is not going to spend enough time in the minor leagues? I, I stayed away from guys like him or Jackson Churio uh, because of that possibility that they could very easily spend half the year in in the big leagues. Say, um, maybe De La Cruz is a quarter step ahead of Churio in, in that regard. So, that, but that is why I didn't pick either of those guys. Yeah, I mean. Dale Cruz had such a huge year this year and was, you know, got some consideration when we chose the pipeline hitter of the year for this year. Um, but yeah, that, 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 those are uh, intriguing picks by both of you. Let's, uh, let's go to pipeline pitcher of the year. Uh, looking back at past winners, Jose Fernandez in 2013, Tyler Glasnow, Blake Snell, uh, Glasnow actually won again in 2016. John Duplantier uh, in 2017. Dylan Cease, Mackenzie Gore, Grayson Rodriguez, and last year's winner was Andrew Painter. Uh, maybe a bit more of a mixed bag there uh, than with the hitters, uh, but some really, really solid major league pitchers. Who do we think joins the list this year? Do I go first this time? Sure. Um... You know what? I think I'm gonna I'm gonna say that the Phillies are gonna go back to back, and Mick Abel is going to be the pipeline pitcher of the year. Uh, I, I think Andrew Painter is gonna spend too much time in the big leagues. He, he's kind of 
moved past Abel, even though Abel was picked the year before. I think that Abel spends, you know, most of the year between double A and triple A, and maybe he touches the big leagues at the end of the year. Uh, you know, showed some good things. Um, actually pitched a little bit better in double A than he did in high A and uh, missed a ton of bats. I think he's going to really start to figure things out and he's going to see Andrew Painter beat him to Philadelphia and that's going to motivate him. Uh, you know, he, he's got the four pitch mix, uh, you know, has a chance to have maybe three plus pitches when all is said and done. You know, the projectable high school right-hander from Oregon uh, fits that profile really well. Six five, I think, you know, the stuff is just going to keep getting better and sharper. So that's that's my pick. The Phillies go back-to-back. You know what? I, I like that. Thank you. Yeah, I was going to say, you know what? I, I did not uh, take a quick look back at last year's selections, um, which, Jim, you picked Jack Leiter, and Sam picked Daniel Espino, uh, neither of whom had uh, much of a 2022 to speak of for different reasons. Leiter's performance-based, and Espino just didn't pitch much uh, after being injured early in the season. Looked really, really good early on, like he could have been uh, moving in that direction. But uh, anyway, uh, go ahead with your uh, pick there, Jim. Yeah, yeah, you know, it's, it's, I, was, I was trying to come up with a different name, and I was looking at names when Jonathan started talking. I, I think McAble is as good a pick as anybody. The, the, the problem with picking a pitcher of the year is so many of the top guys – are going to get a lot of big league time. And Grayson Rodriguez, I'm just looking at yeah. the order we have him ranked on our top 100 now. Grayson Rodriguez, Yuri Perez, I think is going to get big league time. Daniel Spino, if he's healthy, I think is going to get big league time. I don't think there was much left for him to prove in the minors anyway. Taj Bradley, Kyle Harrison, Andrew Painter, Bobby Miller. Like, I think all those guys could spend half the year in the big leagues. Um, you know what? Just to throw a different name out there, I do like the McAble pick. Like to me, it came down to three guys. It would be Mick Abel, Ricky Tiedemann mm-hmm. of the Blue Jays, left-hander, maybe yep. Jackson Job of the Tigers, who was the number three pick in the draft a couple of years ago. I'll go with Ricky Tiedemann. Like, I do think there's a chance Ricky Tiedemann could spend time in the big leagues. I do think he's going to spend most of the year in the minors, or at least a significant chunk of the year in the minors. He made four kind of truncated double-A starts at the end of the year. And it was really spectacular. I'll give a shout-out to – Keegan Matheson, who who does our Blue Jays list, I can't remember if he does it in conjunction with you, Sam. Jonathan, or Sam, uh, with Sam. But Keegan was really pushing for Ricky Tiedemann going into the year, saying he was hearing all kinds of great reports on Ricky Tiedemann. And I know we put him high on the Blue Jays list. He was not high on our preseason top 100. He wasn't on the preseason top 100 last year. And, you know, third round pick in 2021. And it looked great. You know, mid-90s fastball, slider, changeup, strikes, left-handed, good six foot four, 220-pound frame. Uh, so I'll go Ricky Tiedemann. I'll, 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 I'll gamble a little bit that Ricky Tiedemann spends enough time in the minors, but I think it makes sense to me that he would begin the year in double A, then go to triple A. Now I'm talking myself into him getting promoted, but I'll stick with Ricky <laughs> Tiedemann before I think about this too much. Stop talking before you change your mind. All right. You are listening to the MLB pipeline podcast. We are making predictions for the 2023 season. I predict that we're going to take a break and come back and continue doing that. That's coming up next on the MLB Pipeline Podcast.
Welcome back to the MLB Pipeline Podcast. I'm Jason Ratliff here with Jim Callis and Jonathan Mayo. Uh, 2023 is upon us. This is our first episode of the year, so we are looking ahead to the 2023 season and making a bunch of prospect predictions. Uh, So far, to quickly recap, uh, we've picked our rookies of the year for 2023. Jim and Jonathan agreeing on both the National League and American League picks, Corbin Carroll and Gunnar Henderson. Pipeline hitter of the year, Jim has gone with uh, Jackson Holiday and Jonathan with Marcelo Meyer. And pipeline pitcher of the year picks, Jim has gone with Ricky Tiedemann and Jonathan with Mick Abel. That takes us to the number one overall draft pick for this year. Come July, who will go off the board first? Guys, I know uh, this is relatively fresh on your minds because we just put out the top 100 draft prospects list uh, prior to the holidays. And uh, so you guys have put a lot of work into that. We've done a mock draft, obviously way too early to actually be doing a mock draft um, with any sort of insight as to which players the teams will be taking, uh, but just a way to sort of look at the top players, players at the top of the list. If you had to bet $25,000 now, which you do, because that's what we do here. Uh, who would you say will go first overall? I will just take the whole SEC field, and and, and I'll win my twenty five thousand dollars. I'm just taking the SEC. Can't do I, know, that. I know I have to be more. Specific. I know I know I have to be more specific. But we have SEC players in the top five spots on our top one hundred with LSU outfielder Dylan Cruz, Tennessee right-hander Chase Dollander, Florida outfielder Wyatt Langford, LSU righty Paul Skeens. Mississippi shortstop Jacob Gonzalez and Vanderbilt outfielder Enrique Bradfield and Florida right-hander Hurston Waldrop not far behind. I'm, I'm going to, even though he's number two on our list, I will take Chase Dollander um, to go number one overall in the draft. He's, in my mind, the best pitching prospect in the draft, going back to Garrett Cole or Steven Strasburg. And I think he's a little bit more rare than what Dylan Cruz or White Langford bring to the table. Um, Cruz and Langford, very similar as we've discussed on the podcast in the past. Um, and so I'm, I'm going to go with, I'll, I'll go with Chase Dollander, I think will be the number one overall pick out of Tennessee over, over the, the two SEC outfielders. All right. Uh, by the way, last year, um, uh, Jim went with Tamar Johnson and Sam went with Elijah Green. Those are so- that was like one, one of my better predictions. I, I was looking at my comment. I, I like after Sam picked Elijah Green, I, I said something to the effect of, "Well, I thought he had the highest ceiling in the draft. I thought the Orioles, if they went high school hitter, would go more polished hitter." And I went to Termar Johnson. We had we had Matt, you know, ha- Matt. We had Jackson Holiday went into the year as a as more of kind of like a sandwich second round pick, so he wasn't at that level. But among my many bad predictions last year at, the, at this time. Having the Orioles take a polished high school hitter was, was, less was one bad. of my better. No, ones, and so. and Tamar Johnson was yeah. in. You know they they talked about that. So uh, I, I thought uh, both both of those predictions weren't weren't too far off, and both went at the top of the draft. So you deserve kudos for that, as much as we were bashing you for more predictions. One kudo. kudo, I get a one kudo. kudo. <laughs> All right, Jonathan, uh, who do you have for this year's number Yeah, one? I don't want to pick the same guy, although I do like Chase Dollander. I, I kind of going back and forth between like 
you know, doing that and like going like really bold. Um, but I'm not going to do that, but I, I, I think I'm going to listen to a couple of the scouts that I talked to when we were putting together our draft list, who predicted that by the end of the spring, Wyatt Langford would go uh, ahead of Dylan Cruz. So I'm going to take Wyatt Langford, the outfielder from Florida. I, I don't, you know, right now Dylan Cruz is, is the, is the number one guy and for good reason. Uh, but I think Langford, um, he's going to show people that he can play center field. He hasn't played it before. Uh, he runs a bit better uh, than Cruz. I think he's a little bit more athletic. Uh, you know, that is really the only reasons. Maybe the the power is a tick higher. I don't think there's going to be that much separating the two, and I think there will be some spirited conversations. But I'm going to listen to the, those those two different scouts that I uh, that I spoke to when we were putting together the list and pick Wyatt Langford. Okay, so the number two and number three prospects on our top 100 draft prospects list are chosen as the number one overall draft pick in 2023. Okay, so looking ahead to the end of the year, we're kind of going chronologically here. Uh, Looking ahead to the end of the year, who will be the number one prospect at the end of 2023, which this is probably a little more difficult to narrow down than the others. You have to try to consider guys who will graduate from the list, who's going to perform, um, Jonathan, you are up first on this one. Who do you have? Well, I, I'm gonna, I think I'm going to stay consistent because I'm looking at our current top six, and that's Alvarez, Henderson, Carroll, Grayson Rodriguez, Anthony Volpe, and Jordan Walker. I think all six of those players are going to graduate by the end of the year. And that leaves me with our current number seven player and the player that I picked as our pipeline hitter of the year, Marcelo Meyer. So that's, I'm going to stick with him, uh, you know, for all the same reasons why I picked him as their pipeline hitter of the year. The power is going to come more. Uh, I think he's going to really take off at the upper levels while playing a very, very good shortstop. And that's why he's going to end up in the top spot. And I'm going to kind of mirror what you did, Jonathan, and just stick with my pick for pipeline hitter of the year. And I'm going to go with Jackson holiday, you know, for, you know, again, I mean, everything I said about him earlier, I, I just think his, I, I think he's going to be the best hitting prospect in the minors. I don't think he's quite as good defensively as Meyer is at shortstop, but I think he can play shortstop. He's stronger. He's faster than Marcelo. Um, arms are comparable. Um, so yeah, the, the same logic, just like that led Jonathan to double up with his, Pipeline here of the year, also being the number one overall prospect. I, I will do the same thing and double up on Jackson Holiday. All right. And I once again did not look back at last year's picks before we before you guys submitted this year's picks. But uh, this time last year, when you looked ahead to the end of the 2022 season, Jim, you projected that Anthony Volpe would be the number one overall prospect and Sam uh, picked C.J. Abrams, uh, obviously not thinking that he would spend enough time in the big leagues to graduate. Um, Volpe is not quite number one, but he is right up there. Not a bad, not a bad selection by you. 
Yeah, I mean, he had a 20 home or 50 steal season the first since Andrew Jones back in, in 1995. And um, I think there's a good chance Anthony Volpe will be the number one prospect on a minor league roster to open 2023. So um, maybe I'll, I'll take credit for that because I, I do think we could see Alvarez, Henderson, Carroll, and Rodriguez who are the top – well, Grayson Rodriguez might open the year in the minors after after having some minor injuries last year. But, um, yeah, th- th- those weren't those weren't bad predictions. Yeah, I – See, Sam should have seen C.J. Abrams getting traded for Juan Soto. I, I can't believe he <laughs> missed that one, though. So, Yeah, I was – I look back, and uh, I guess shortly after uh, you and Sam made these predictions, Jim, you did uh, a story where you projected who would be the top 10 prospects – at the end of the season, um, and you had Volpe, Francisco Alvarez, Noel V. Marte, Marco Luciano, Marcelo Meyer, Jack Leiter, Corbin Carroll, Jordan Lawler, Henry Davis, and Diego Cartaya. Uh, three, four, five of those guys hmm. are yeah, five of those five guys of are them, in yeah. the top ten. Um, and then Lawler is twelve. Luciano. Yeah, I think four of them are in the 11 through 20 range. Yeah, Luciano, 16, Marte, 17, Henry Davis, 19. Um, and really the, the only one of those 10 who uh, isn't really anywhere near the top 10 is Jack Leiter, who had that really rough season and, and dropped down to number 45. Uh, and then the guys who are in the top 10 that you didn't mention, Gunnar Henderson, Grayson Rodriguez, Jordan Walker, Yuri Perez, Jackson Churio, you know, had some of the biggest seasons of the year last year. Four out of those five guys were not ranked uh, in our season-ending end, top 100 list. Uh, Grayson Rodriguez, the only one who was, was number 27. So you can see that, you know, this is difficult to do. You can have guys who jump on the radar and work their, themselves way up the list over the course of a year. Uh, okay, well, let's move on to the next one, the number one farm system at the end of the year. Uh, last year, Jim and Sam agreed on this one. They each took the Pirates. Um, and I want to look back at our our most recent farm system rankings and see the Pirates are number seven. Uh, so that didn't quite pan out, and I'm trying to think of why. Um, if it's graduations, well, I, think I don't think there were too many graduations to speak of. unexpected. Well, some of it, I mean, they lost, they lost right. O'Neill Cruz and, and, and Roncy Contreras. And while they added Termar, I think some of it is just some of the top guys didn't really perform, even if they weren't bad at, you know, Henry Davis was banged up a lot. So we're, there's some question marks there. Quinn Priester was good. But maybe not dominant. Nick Gonzalez didn't have a good regular season and got hurt again. The over Pagrero was just okay, although very young for his level. So I think I think some of the the the, the anchors at the top didn't like blow blow people away. So that's why they kind of held serve, even though it's still a, a very deep system. Okay, uh, Jim, trying to take all these things into consideration: graduations, draft, um, current prospects. Who do you see being the num- having the number one farm system at the conclusion of this season? Yeah, I mean, this is probably 
<laughs> like it, it's good. And this is probably the most difficult question. And also one I won't lose any sleep over if I'm wrong, because you're, you're taking so much into account. You know, the, I think the toughest part is figuring out who's going to get promoted to the big leagues. Like, you know, I, coming into the year or not coming into the year, but at the end of the season, when we updated the, the top 100 and all the top 30 lists in August. The Orioles were number one, but they're going to lose Gunnar Henderson and Grayson Rodriguez at some point this year, and maybe some other guys too. We had the Dodgers number two, and Bobby Miller and Miguel Vargas and Michael Bush and Ryan Pepio and Gavin Stone could all wind up graduating this year. So it's hard to pick them. I, I'm going to pick. I'm going to pick the Cleveland Guardians. You know, we we've talked a little bit about Daniel Espino, him missing time last year. May slow him down this year. I, I think they'll probably lose him, but I, I think most of the other players on their list, there's still, still a very young farm system. George Valera, Gavin Williams, Bo Naylor, Brian Rocchio are all knocking on the door. They're all on the top 100 prospects list. So is Tanner Bybee. I don't think any of those guys are locks to lose their prospect status. And they, I, I like their draft, You know, starting with Chase DeLauder and Justin Campbell. They have Jackson Churio's little brother, Jason Churio, who, who started to make a rise last year. I, I just think they have a really, really deep farm system, and I don't think they're going to get as affected by graduation as much as other clubs. So I will pick Cleveland and say that this is the most difficult of the question of them all to answer, but I, I will go with Cleveland. Yeah, we're we're not even really. I, I don't think anyone's mentioned, you know, the impossible task of trying to consider potential trades. Although you could look at a team and weigh whether you think that team will be a buyer or seller, and then could, could potentially add more prospects. All right, Jonathan, who do you have? I'm torn between two teams. I thought you might pick Texas, Jim, because I know you're always touting like the the sort of lower end, high end talent. Um, I thought about them, but I uh, and I thought about them too. But instead, I, I'm. This is one of these where it, it depends. It's, it's put so much weight on one player whether or not he graduates, maybe a lot. But I'm going to pick the Cincinnati Reds, and I, uh, I'm going to say that Ellie De La Cruz is going to hang on to rookie eligibility for one more year to make me look smart. Uh, but I also think that I mean I know we saw Noel V. Marte not look all that good in the fall league, but I think. He is going to settle in, uh, you know, l- learning to play third base. I think the the power is there. Uh, you know, they, they still have Edwin Arroyo, Ken Collier from the draft. I think Matt McClain will have a bounce back season, and they have some some depth. Um, you know, if Brandon Williamson and Andrew Abbott aren't in the big leagues, that adds to their pitching depth for sure. Um, I think Chase Petty is going to take another big step forward this year. So, uh, and, and they were a team that made uh, a, a very nice jump up our, our rankings from 15 in the preseason up to number four uh, when we did our, our re-rank uh, in August. So I think they're going to make the, the next jump up to the top of the list. All right. Uh, I thought, Jonathan, being the homer that you are, that you might have – gone with the Pirates, uh, who will be adding the number one overall draft pick to an already uh, a sure, farm sure. system that's already ranked in the in the top seven uh, at the conclusion of last year. I'm curious, uh, out of the Pirates' top 100 prospects, uh, or the, the Pirates' prospects who are on the top 100, uh, 
which of these, which guys do you see graduating this year? Henry Davis, Jamar Johnson, Quinn Priester, Leo Paguero, Nick Gonzalez, Andy Rodriguez. Could be a, could be quite a few of them, I guess. I think Priester and Rodriguez are probably the the best bets. Uh, Henry Davis, you know, he because he played so little. I mean, if he stays healthy, he could definitely hit his way up. Uh, and then they, you know, he can catch some DH, some he and Andy Rodriguez can can share. So he would be the third. Tamar Johnson obviously is just getting going. I think Pagaro probably ends up spending most of the year in the minors. So I think I, I think it would be Priester and then Rodriguez. Um, if Nick Gonzalez figures things out, he'll hit his way to the big leagues. But uh, last year was a little bit troubling, even if he righted the ship but again a little bit in the fall league. Okay. Uh, we have one question, le- one prediction left, uh, but I wonder if this is also going to answer our mailbag question. Uh, let's 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 go ahead and make the prediction, uh, and then we'll we'll see if if there's a different answer to the. I, 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 Jason, I don't think it should conflict because we won't we won't give away the mailbag question yet. But the mailbag question kind of deals with players who aren't on the top 100 prospect right. list. And this one deals with players who are on the top 100 prospects list. So I think we're good. Okay. All right. So uh, the prediction that we're going to make here is the biggest riser among current top 100 prospects. Um, So we, well, I mentioned earlier, Jim, that when you projected the top 10 prospects for 2022, back in February of 2022, there were... uh, four guys in currently in the top 10 who were not in the top 100. So guys like Gunnar Henderson, Jordan Walker, Yuri Perez, Jackson Churio from this year uh, wouldn't have even been in, in consideration for, for... Was Gunnar Henderson not ranked? I don't think that's right. At, at the end of 2021, I don't think he... Oh, like I see what you're saying. Yeah, I, I was thinking going into 2022 because we have a new list yeah, in January. Yeah, yeah okay, anyway. Uh, so last year, uh, speaking of Nick Gonzalez, uh, Jim predicted that Nick Gonzalez would be the biggest riser among current top 100 prospects. And uh, he was 62 at the time. And no, he did not rise. But but I feel like I did better than Sam. <laughs> I was going to say, <laughs> uh, Sam took Luis Matos, who at the time was number 77. And... I mean, if you wanted to pick uh, top 100 prospects from last year who had uh, the roughest seasons, he'd have to be right up there, I, th- I would think. And you know what's crazy is, so I saw him in the fall league. I was there for the first week and last week of the season. And I don't know, I saw Scottsdale play, I don't know, five or six times. And I saw him have three or four good games. And at least Montez didn't have a very good fall league either. Like, he just went backwards. Um yeah, so our, our track record on this question again, Jonathan excluded. Jonathan was was not a part of our our, our not uh, too great predictions last year. Ho- hopefully, we will have better predictions in this regard this year. But anyway, I'm predicting to, to that you will. Sam, uh, yeah, there you <laughs> That's go. That's my I, prediction. To defend Sam, I thought Luis Matos was going to rise as well, um, and he just got hurt and his swing got messed up, and he had a bad year. So, anyway. We'll move on and look forward. 2023, Jonathan, who on the current top 100 is making the biggest rise? So this is who is going to be the highest at the end of the season as opposed to like – That's right. Yeah. yeah. Unless I mean, if you want to pick some guy who's toward the bottom of the list that you think is going to be a great big leaguer this year, I think that's fine too. Um, 
you don't have to exclude a guy. Like if you thought, you know, whoever you, you would pick it toward the bottom of the list was going to be like a rookie of the year candidate. I think that could make some sense also. Right. I'm not going to do that. I, I was trying to decide between a couple of people. And, and uh, so I think in the end, I'm going to pick Gavin Cross uh, now of the Kansas City Royals. He's at 72 on our on our current list. Um, he is, was the, you know, the number nine overall pick uh, in, in last year's draft. Um, you know, had a, a very strong season. He has got you know, five tool potential, uh, and had a really strong pro debut, uh, mostly, uh, in single a, uh, where he had an OPS over a thousand in 26 games there. So I think he's a guy who could start the year in high a, maybe even gets pushed up to, to double a, uh, but a left-handed hitter who can, uh, hit and have power, uh, you know, uh, coming out of that Virginia tech offense, um, and, and he can do a little bit of everything really well, probably as a corner outfielder, um, when, when all is said and done, um, you know, but also could play first base. So his bat's going to carry him up and then they can plug him into the, the big league lineup whenever they feel so. So he's going to be a fast riser through their system and on our top 100. All right. I like the pick Jim. Do you think I'm going higher or lower than 72? I think you're going lower. Do you know who I'm picking? Don't you? Well, you, you sound confident there. Go ahead. What number do you think I'm picking? And I, I've, I've got yeah, my pick in my head. I think you're picking 83. You're correct. I'm going with Jackson Merrill. Yeah. Oh, look at that. Yo, that's a good pick. You read me. You read that's me. That's a well. very good pick. Um, yeah. Anyway, though, <laughs> last year I took a guy, an infielder who really impressed me in the Arizona Fall League, and Nick Gonzalez, and he went backwards a little bit. And but I, I'm going the same way. You know, Merrill was the third youngest player in the Fall League. He didn't look like it. I I honestly was a little surprised they said the Potters sent him to the Fall League. Because he was so young and he had missed most of the season with a wrist injury. I get one to have at bats, but like as a kid out of high school who barely played in pro ball, you know, Joe Mack, who was in the kind of a similar situation, the Marlins catcher, looked overmatched at times. And Merrill never really looked overmatched. I just love the swing. I just love the way he hits. I think he's going to be an impact bat, you know, like with a lot of these young shortstops, you know, is he a shortstop? Is he a third baseman or second baseman? I don't think it's a matter because I think this is a guy who could be eventually a 300, you know, 25 plus homer guy. And then that bat will play all over the diamond. Um, I think he's going to get stronger. I think he's going to get better as he gets more experience. I just really like Jackson Merrill. And I'll go ahead and make a bonus prediction. Wow. I think that of when we do the top 100, the, 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 we're, we're, I have I have yet to formulate my preliminary 125, which is our first step. I know Jonathan's working on his and Sam's working on his, but we'll have a new top 100 out um, by the end of the month. I predict that Jackson Merrill will make the biggest jump of anybody who is on the end of year 2022 list. He will rise the highest on the 2023 list. So I think he's already going to make a huge jump and, and he will continue to rise throughout the season. All right, well, that'll do it for our predictions for the 2023 season. But we have one more left to prediction that we'll make based on the mailbag question that we got. We'll do that coming up next on the MLB Pipeline Podcast.
Welcome back to the MLB Pipeline Podcast. Jason Ratliff, Jim Callis, Jonathan Mayo, and Black Sox 96 on Twitter asks, who is the Jackson Churio for 2023? Jackson Churio being a prospect who was not ranked uh, heading into the season um, and just exploded up the charts. Ended up, where is he now? He's... 10, I think, maybe higher. It's, the question is yeah. almost impossible to answer because He's 10. if we went with a strict definition, Jackson Churio, like Ellie De La Cruz year before, came from the DSL to the U.S. And you know, Churio had a higher profile as an international signee. I think De La Cruz signed, what, Jonathan, for like $65,000? Yeah. Um, so it's like these guys are truly coming out of nowhere that you can't possibly predict, but we will try to predict. But it, it, it's a great question. You know, Jackson Churio was the Ellie de la Cruz of 2022, although, like I said, he was a much higher profile signing. So, so who will be the Churio of 2023 is a great question, although somewhat impossible to answer. But, but do you want me to go first, Jonathan, or do you want to go first? Is this going to be someone from the 2022 international class then? Or- well, see, I, you guys, you'll be shocked to hear this. I've gone the whole podcast without saying i have two answers to the question i i have i have my guy you, you, you did just give us a it's bonus true. you gave us a bonus bonus pick yeah. so you're kind of on the fence there but all right but um but i was gonna say i i had two i had a 2022 international guy and then i had a guy not on the top 100 who's a multi-tooled position player that i think could really jump so should i go first or do you want sure. to go so i don't if you have two choices, I don't take both. Do you, I, I I don't have two choices because I listened to the question. Okay. Well, if you're go, if you're going for an international guy who was in the DSL last year, and like it, this is like not even like the obvious guy to me is Christian Vaquero of the Nationals. Now, in some ways, my answer it's not really fair. The guy signed for four point nine two five million dollars, so it's not like if he blossoms, he's going to be a big shock. But he's six foot three. He's got all kinds of power and bat speed. He's a switch hitter. He can really run. So I don't think that anybody who follows international baseball is going to be shocked, like, oh, my God, where did Christian Vaquero come from? But I do think he's capable of making that leap from the DSL to putting him, you know, rising up the top 100 list very quickly. So he'd be the international answer. And then my my uh, non-international answer I touched on him briefly before. I really like Chase DeLauder of the of the Guardians. Um, I, I would have drafted. I thought him getting 16 was it was a huge get for the for the Guardians in last year's draft. I just thought he had. I mean, he had some injury issues with a broken left foot last year. The pandemic shortened his first two seasons because James Madison played a very played only about a half season in 2021. So he he never really played a full season of college baseball. But he batted 402 with the 1235 ops. And he's got solid or better tools across the board. I, I thought he had the best combination of performance, tools, and plate discipline in the draft last year in the college crop. And I think he's going to fly up the charts too. So he would be my my non-international answer to that question. I, I have I have just one answer. And I kind of looked at it. I, I looked up. So Churio was number 10 on the Brewers preseason list, if I, if I read our, our archives correctly or, or thereabouts. Um, so I kind of went looking for someone in that, in that range, uh, you know, without worrying about if the guy, you know, where he had played last year. So 
I'm going to take Orioles catching prospect Samuel Basalo, um, who was a pretty, you know, uh, big international signing, which is news in and of itself because for years the Orioles didn't do that. He signed for $1.3 million in January of 2021, which was at the time the biggest bonus the Orioles had ever given to an international prospect. He played in the States in 2022 in the, in the Florida Complex League, uh, really held his own. Um, showed off a, a pretty good approach. Uh, there is a lot of raw power for him to tap into. He's a left-handed hitting catcher. There's an outside chance he outgrows catcher. He's got a really strong arm. Um, he did play some first base last summer and looked good there, and the power profile's there. So it's really the bat that I'm buying. Uh, and he'll only be 18 uh, for most of this upcoming season, which we'll see him move to full season ball. So I think that he is the kind of guy that could really take off if he takes big steps forward uh, offensively and tapping into that tremendous offensive potential. All right. Great question from Black Sox 96. Thanks very much for that. And thanks to everyone for listening. That is going to be a wrap for this week's MLB Pipeline podcast, the first of 2023. Don't forget to subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts so you don't miss an episode. If you're enjoying the show or have any suggestions, leave us a rating and a review. Thanks for listening, everybody. See you next week. Hey!